When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hey, it's Matt here. Guess what's happening on this week's Binge List? Can you believe it's our 25th episode, Claire? It was amazing from the start to the finish. Sorry to interrupt you, but I feel very passionately about this. It was full speed action. Get on board, buckle up and go with it. Now we have our next big hope for 2018's best Australian drama. They didn't treat me like an idiot. She's got a dodgy wig, though. Can we just talk about that? I didn't even know it was still on. Is it still on? Seems to be going for about five months and like 20 million episodes of it. Oh, you're such a hater, Gavin. (laughs) We're going to talk about it whether you like it or not. But here is the thing that's got me absolutely out of my mind with excitement. And maybe I'm just wrong. You're wrong. Hello and welcome back to Binge List, Who Magazine's TV podcast. And once again, I'm not Matthew Denby. I am Gavin Scott. Yes, he's still away. Can you believe it? Uh, But I do have Claire Rigdon with me once again. Hello, Claire. Hi. Playing second fiddle as always to Matthew Denby. Good to be here. Can you believe it's our 25th episode, Claire? I actually can't. And I actually can't believe it. makes me feel a bit sick to think about it because that's a lot of TV we've watched. <laughs> so much TV. Oh, my gosh. And we're, we're going to get straight into it today because we have both just finished the brand new episode of Doctor Who. Yes, we, we record this podcast on a Monday usually. And uh, it was a last-minute inclusion because, thankfully, uh, the ABC fast-tracked it onto iView. hasn't even aired on the normal channel yet at, at the time we're speaking. It will do by the time you hear this. But uh, we jumped on iView to watch the latest episode of Doctor Who, and it feels like this moment has been coming for ages. But Jodie Whittaker has finally debuted as the 13th incarnation of Doctor Who. And, uh, yeah, it's got this kind of almost primetime slot of 5.55pm on the ABC, which (laughs) I guess is when it used to air in the 80s, like late in the afternoon. Yeah. Uh, before the news and things like that. But, um, you know, the, the long-running sci-fi series has been getting a lot of attention lately, more attention than it has in a while, thanks to Jodie being cast, because obviously she's the first female regeneration of the Doctor. And squeal! Squeal! It, it, it is. It's, it's exciting. I just want to just squeal, because it was the best episode of Doctor Who I have ever seen. It was amazing from the start to the finish. Jodie Whittaker is everything I wanted her to be. I mean, I am a Doctor Who fan and I've watched a lot of it over the years, since the 80s when I was a little tacker growing up in the UK. And I've been waiting for this moment for Yonks. And when I found out that it was Broadchurch star Jodie Whittaker that was going to be taking over from um, Peter Capaldi, I was like, oh, amazing. But I still didn't know how they were going to do it. And just from that very first second, she's perfect. She's got all the mannerisms of Peter Capaldi. She's got a little bit of David Tennant. She's got a little bit of Tom Baker. Like, she's, she is the Doctor, and it's everything I wanted her to be. Five stars. I really want to know from all of you guys out there what you guys thought. But I just loved everything about this, Gav. What did you think? Yeah, I, I really liked it as well. I haven't watched Doctor Who in a while. I had a friend at school back in the 80s who was obsessed. I got dragged to a convention once at Sydney Uni and he had all the books <laughs> and, and all that kind of stuff. Scarf? 
Um, he didn't have a scarf because we were watching when it was Sylvester McCoy who was the doctor. Oh, that's, that's when... how old you are. You're really old. <laughs> <laughs> so that's when we were watching and uh, he was obsessed and I kind of got into it a little bit because of him. But um, and, and I've dipped in and out of the revival. I've, I've seen a bit of Matt Smith and David Tennant and, and uh, you know, some of the Christopher Eccleston, some of the other doctors who have played some of the other actors who have played the doctor in in recent years but yeah i'm not i'm not devoted but i was very interested to see this because of the backlash we even had former doctors peter davison said he didn't agree with the move and then another doctor oh, then colin baker he, he weighed in and he said yeah he he was all for it so when previous doctors were you know getting into arguments online about it it was you know it was a big deal and obviously the fans were divided yeah. you know there was a hashtag not my doctor but it seems like it's crazy. It's it's crazy, Gab, because honestly, sorry to interrupt you, but I feel very passionately about this. I feel like I just need to say that for me, and I think for a lot of people watching out there, it wasn't even an issue because she so thoroughly inhabited that character that I wasn't even looking at it, watching it going, oh, this is an interesting feminist take on the Doctor trope. I was just so utterly caught along for the ride that it was just thrilling to me to watch the show. And the fact that she had borrowed so much from some really iconic performances in the past and brought it and made it her own was just fantastic. I mean, there was a subtle nod and a wink to the fact that she's a woman um, at one point where she's about to jump the crane and she says, well, if you want something doing properly, hmm. I'm like, yeah, get into it. But, but really, I mean, she kind of, it was, or it was a throwaway comment and it, it just, it really for me, I mean, and maybe I'm watching this through the lens of being a woman myself. I didn't care. Like, it, it was just that great. And I I didn't even see her. I, I see her as the doctor. I see her as this otherworldly, um, time-travelling genius. I don't see gender. But I can see that there's a whole lot of man-babies out there online that are having absolute back attacks. But I guarantee you this, right, that every single one of those people that publicly said that they would not watch the show, hashtag not my doctor, a hashtag watching it right now because there is no way as a Doctor Who fan you could have seen all the positive comments online and all the people celebrating how great an episode it was and not be tempted to tune in. I mean, that is just ridiculous. You can't call yourself a Doctor Who fan if you're not at least going to check it out. Yeah, the end. Thank was... you very much. <laughs> You, you're done. done. <laughs> you're done now. Can I speak? I'm done. <laughs> yes. um, no, I, I agree. I agree. I think all these people who were tweeting and stuff before she'd even been on air, um, or, or after she'd been on air for you know five seconds or whatever with the Christmas special, I, I just think wait and see what it's like. Then if you don't like it, sure, she can not be your doctor, whatever. Um, but for all those people here yeah, jumping up and down, oh, I don't like this. I don't like that. Watch the episode and then see what happens. And I, I feel like it's been overwhelmingly positive. All the feedback I've been reading yeah. online has been overwhelmingly positive, which is great. And like you, I agree. Yes, she's a woman, but it doesn't. That's not the main thing. She's just a new incarnation of the Doctor, and she's giving it a new spin. And and they're not making a big deal that she's a woman. That it's the same show, doing the stuff it's always done all these years. The effects are a lot better. I have to say, I haven't watched it in a while. Yeah. I was very impressed with the special effects. I remember back in the 80s where it was kind of bubble wrap and uh, <laughs> dodgy, yeah. dodgy paint jobs and things. The effects were really and, great. <laughs> yeah, totally. And I love the fact that um, 
she's got obviously going to have a few um, hangers-on this time. So she's not just got one sidekick. She's potentially got three. And what really blew me away was just how good the storyline was. I mean, I was re- I actually cried in that bit when, oh, the reload, stop listening now. When Nan fell off the crane, oh, my God, I cried because I felt, even though it had only been on air, you know, I'd only watched like 48 minutes worth of it. I was totally invested in the characters and totally invested in that sweet relationship between Nan and her new new husband and and the young guy and like I just loved everything about it. I couldn't fault anything. And I, I think a lot of the uh, reason why people loved it was because the action came thick and fast and yeah, there wasn't time to be sitting there going, "Oh, do I like the new Doctor as a woman? Do I not?" Because yeah. there, was, there was no time. You did, you know, it was full speed action. Get on board, buckle up, and go with it. And I think that's the great thing about Doctor Who. And as you say, the the you love the storyline. What's interesting about this season is that they're going to be standalone episodes, from what I understand. In in previous seasons, they've been these season long arcs with really complicated yeah. mythology and you know clues. Which has turned me off a lot, actually, I have to say. Well, you have to watch the whole thing, don't you? Whereas this one, it does feel like you can dip in and dip out. Oh, I like this story. I'm going to watch this episode and, and, you know, pick and choose, I guess. Yeah, and also what's interesting about this is that you don't have to have been a rabid fan in the past to pick it up right from the first moments of this new episode. You can really have never watched the show before and still be instantly drawn into it. You can pick up along the way, oh, he's got this little tool. Okay, now it's a chick. She's making her, her own new sonic screwdriver. Okay, oh, now with added Sheffield steel heart, very funny. You can pick it all up. Like it's the only thing that I was slightly disappointed about was the fact that there was no dun 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 You know, like where was the theme tune? Where were the opening titles? That's you took own. the words right out of my mouth. I think I think there was a tiny little musical cue where they played like two seconds of the theme in the background. But yeah, there were no opening titles. There was no TARDIS swirling around in cheap looking, um, you know, visual effects, visual graphics on, on screen. Although the graphics are probably better now as well. Yeah, where's the TARDIS? Like it's blown up, right? Are we going to see it? Are they, is she going to fashion it out of, you know, a couple of bits of sticky tape and some steel? Like, um, bring it back. <laughs> bring the titles back. Bring back the opening titles. We love the opening titles, but it was good yeah. to hear the theme song at the end of the episode. So Doctor Who is um, is back. It's airing Mondays on ABC at uh, yeah 5.55 in the afternoon on the channel and I guess really early in the morning and on iView when uh, it airs in the UK, which is great for all those obsessives out there who want to watch it the second it's available. G'day, Tammy Shinati here, and um, you're listening to The Binge List, which I hope you knew because you <laughs> voluntarily downloaded it and pressed play. Uh, that's all true. <laughs> true story, Channel 9. From one long-running show, we're going to move to another now, Will and Grace. And we've talked a lot about all the reboots on TV, and some have bombed, like Prison Break, some have succeeded and then been axed, like Roseanne, and some I'd forgotten were even on, MacGyver. Who's, is anyone watching MacGyver? I, I don't know. I'm not. But Will and Grace has just got on with it. It was renewed for a second and third season while the first new season was airing, and season two has just begun on Stan with episodes dropping on Fridays. And it's pretty much business as usual for Will, Grace, Jack and Karen. The characters are more or less where we left them at the end of the original series. Will isn't a lawyer anymore. He works with Grace. That's kind of a a, a different thing. And that thing about Will and Grace having grown-up kids in college that ended the original series was hastily glossed over in Season (laughs) 1 of The Revival. Uh, But Will and Grace still live together. Jack is still bouncing through life. And Karen, well, Karen probably still thinks it's 2006 for all we know. (laughs) 
So with the first episode of season 10, or season 2, depending which way you look at it, I laughed about as much as you would expect you would in the 10th season of a series, and often it's just due to familiarity and character quirks rather than because the jokes are that funny. And the first episode was a real case in point. It wasn't hilarious, but I still enjoyed it. Claire, what do you think of the new Will and Grace? Yeah, I agree with you. I was never a massive fan back in the original days, but... um. It is one of those ones that I've dipped in, in and out of. I've got friends that are absolutely obsessed with it, though. And, um, yeah, but here's... Can I say something controversial? This is what I think needs to happen. Okay, so David Schwimmer pops up in the new season as a potential love interest for Grace, mm-hmm. I'm guessing. And his character, the New York curmudgeon, I don't think you find out his name in this, but he's this guy that tweets and um, is and Grace meets him and obviously forms a connection with him. I would like to see the worlds of Will and Grace and friends converge to have David Schwimmer's character actually be Ross. And through the course of the season, he talks about what a pain in the ass his ex Rachel is and how his daughter Emma is an entitled millennium. And I really would totally watch that. And I know it's like, I don't know if you're like me, Gav, but sometimes I just really, really want shows to intersect. I know they did it with Brooklyn Nine-Nine and... um, Oh, what was the other one? That, uh, and uh, New Girl. And I was like, oh, my God, that's amazing. That's so funny. How how great would that be? Or is it just me? Am I on my own there? Well, it, it did feel like, yeah, Friends and Will and Grace were colliding. They were both on air at around the same time at the end of Friends' run and the start of Will and Grace's run. Um, and David Schwimmer was playing a character who kind of was like Ross if yeah, if, if Ross had split up with Rachel and he was kind of a bit um, grumpy. Ross, yeah, become really disillusioned with life. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, Ross did have that side of him. Um, so it did almost feel like we were watching Ross because, yeah, his, his performance wasn't that different from what we've seen from David Schwimmer before, just with the grumpiness turned up. But, yeah, I, I think that would be a, a great idea. And who knows? I mean, maybe, maybe that's what they've got planned. Um, that's what I was wondering. Yeah, maybe like two-thirds of the way or in the finale, we'll find out his real name and it's Ross. I mean, that I would just, my head would explode. That, that would be pretty funny. But Will and Grace has always been known for its guest stars. I mean, back in the day, they had Madonna and Matt Damon and Cher and all sorts of people, Jennifer Lopez. And coming up in this season, we've, we've already seen David Schwimmer. We've got Matthew Bomer, uh, who is going to be a love interest for Will. We've got Olympian Adam Rippon is popping up and Minnie Driver is going to be back this season as well. I'm sure there are a few more they haven't announced as yet. And that's one thing Will and Grace does really well is, is the guest stars. Yes, it's stunt casting. Of course it's stunt casting. But, you know, wh- who is Adam Rippon going to play other than himself? Um, yeah. That's total stunt casting. But that's fine. And, and Will and Grace has always done that. And I think that's why this uh, reboot works, because it's pretty much indistinguishable from the original series. They're, yeah, you, know, you, you take one of these episodes from season nine or season ten and dump it in the middle of season six or seven, you wouldn't be able to tell the difference. And I think that's why it's worked. It's consistent with what has happened before, and you know, it's playing to its strengths. Would you agree? Yeah, I would absolutely. It's very unusual though, because um, usually when you watch back on sitcoms from the noughties and from the nineties, they're very dated. I don't know if you've watched Friends recently. I still enjoy it, but it is very of the moment and you sort of watch it and go, oh my God, some of the stuff they say. It's hilarious. Some of the stuff from those early Sex and the City episodes, um, you know, you just kind of see how like it just wouldn't fly today. There's actually a um, hashtag woke Charlotte where people, um, yeah, I don't know if you follow it. You should totally follow this uh, site on Instagram called uh, Every Outfit on 
aspects in the city. And the person that runs that often um, tweets as woke Charlotte, where they talk about if Charlotte was actually, you know, woke and wasn't, you know, anyway, I've gone off on a tangent. But um, yeah, so I feel like um, you're right. Yeah, it's quite unusual for it to have been able to update in the way that it has. Good on them. Yeah, it, it's updated without really updating, I guess, I guess is my point. It's um, it, it's new and it's of its time. It, it talks about Trump and things like that. We saw that in, in the first new season. But it does feel consistent with the original season. And I guess that's because Will and Grace was kind of ahead of its time back then. Yeah. It was, you know, it was the first series with gay men not as side characters or sidekicks or as comic relief. They were the, the centre of the show. Obviously, Jackie is comic relief. But, but Will was is, you know, the leading man in the show alongside Grace. Uh, anyway, new episodes of Will and Grace arrive on Stan each Friday. Again, hot off the press from the US. Binge List. Brought to you by Who Magazine. On to something local, and we thought we had it with Picnic and Hanging Rock, but after a brilliant first episode, that quickly lost our interest. Now we have our next big hope for 2018's best Australian drama, Pine Gap. It's set in the top-secret facility of the same name, which is outside Alice Springs, and the show is created by Greg Hadrick and Felicity Packard, who've been involved in a stack of shows, notably the Underbelly series. And for me, the first episode is brilliant. I know I said that about Picnic and Hanging Rock. I'm hoping the second episode lives up to it. But, um, Claire, tell us what Pine Gap is all about. Pine Gap is definitely um, worth a look. It's an ABC Netflix co-production. So you can imagine it, it has a lot more money behind it than your average ABC series. But set in and around the real-life military facility of Pine Gap, a place that actually exists and is actually a functioning place situated just outside Alice Springs. So just a bit of background. The US global influence, quote-unquote, is built on intelligence and military support from three huge satellite surveillance bases. One's in Colorado in America. The second is in Harrogate in the United Kingdom. And the most important is in the middle of Australia. And it relies on both US and Australian intel gatherers who are working at this facility. So basically, right from the get-go, we get to meet this team who are working together. Some are American, some are Australian. And we follow them as they're in their communications room at Pine Gap, and they realise that there's a rogue missile about to target a civilian aircraft. And really, it's on the edge of your seat staff. But it's not all high-stakes and espionage, which is what makes this really interesting. We actually also learn about the um, lives outside of work, of the people that work there. So you can kind of imagine there's dodgy Tinder dates and there's a boss that has no one to talk to except her cat. And there's all sorts of very interesting family dynamics going on with some of the people that work there outside of their work. So this doesn't really feel like an Aussie drama. It feels much more to me like something you see on US TV, like a Homeland or a Jack Ryan. And that's because there's dollar dollar bills, yo, like there is, so much money poured into this. Gav, what did you think? Do you like it? I do. This was all sorts of excellent. There was no clunky exposition, the thing I always complain about. I felt there was exposition, obviously, but I felt like it came naturally. The dialogue wasn't like, now I am saying something that the audience need to know so they can understand what's going on. I didn't completely understand what was going on until, you know, 10 or 15 minutes in, and I was like, oh, okay, now I get it, because they didn't treat me like an idiot. They treated, no, they don't. They treat the audience with respect and figure that you'll work it out as you go along, and I love that. They didn't have to spell it out. The acting is really good, pretty much across the board. 
And it, as you said, it's thrilling. It, it's really, it's the best Australian drama I've seen all year. I like the tension between the Australians and the Americans. Yeah, there's a couple of dodgy accents in there, I think. Yeah, there are. But I love impatient, humourless Jacqueline McKenzie, who is the uh, yeah the person who talks to a cat that you mentioned. She plays the deputy chief of the facility, uh, Kath Sinclair, and she is no nonsense. She's there, there's this great scene where she's waiting for her superior. She's gone to her superior's home to have a chat with him, and he, she's stuck talking to the wife, and she just doesn't know what to say. She she can't do small talk, so she kind of stands there, <laughs> jangling her keys impatiently, waiting for her boss to come out so she can actually get down to business. She is all business. She's a great character, and I really like Jacqueline McKenzie in that role. But she's got a dodgy wig, though. Can we just talk about that? It's a bit dodge. That was my only negative on the first episode of this. Jacqueline's wig. <laughs> Jacqueline's dodgy hair. Uh, and, and I agree. It takes the best episode, uh, the best elements of Homeland, Terrorism, and 24. One of us is a mole. And any number of similar shows, but it manages to make it feel fresh and new. Now, now can we talk about this who is the mole storyline? Because like all good spy yeah. dramas, there's someone working against I wasn't sure if we were going to go there, because does, does it ruin it, knowing that there's somebody's a mole? I don't know. Does it? I hope not. It's certainly. A, it's certainly a very good... Um, it's a very good basis from which to set a spy thriller. Uh, yeah, so it's got to be someone in that control room and someone that we meet in the first episode. Yeah, there's all sorts of things that, that they bring into it. You know, there's the, they're talking about the Chinese influence, which is very hot button. They talk about the South China Sea. Um, you know, most of us don't know a whole lot about this stuff. But as you said, Gav, they don't treat us like idiots. They, they just you're just along for the ride, yeah. And and the, as you say, the personal stories of the characters are in there as well, and they're trickled throughout without it feeling out of place. I like how it flips from, yeah, a, a tense meeting at Pine Gap about missiles and who's stolen these missiles and what kind of missiles it is and terrorism and, you know, getting drones and all that kind of stuff. And then it goes to um, a, a guy Skyping with his dad back in America and a, a really kind of yeah. heartbreaking moment there between this guy and his dad, which, which is... Uh, yeah, a really good mix of the professional and the personal, I thought. I thought it was really well done all round, and I'm really, really hoping that I'm not going to be disappointed when I watch episode two that there's a dip in quality. Me too. I mean, I've seen the first two episodes. It's a double episode that it's kicking off with, and it's certainly a strong start. It's interesting because the, the only thing I can think to compare it to recently is Jack Ryan, who's the new Amazon Prime series that mm. stars John Krasinski. There's an episode, I think it's episode four in that series, where they... Um, sort of have a sideline plot with two people working in a comms department pretty similar to Pine Gap. In fact, it could actually be Pine Gap. Um, yeah, and they sort of zero in on a, on a drone and, and um, yeah, it, it's really interesting because you hear all about drone strikes, but the actual machinations of it all are fascinating. And really, when you think about it, a lot of these drone strikes, honestly, are probably coming from Pine Gap. I mean, isn't it strange to think that there's people living up in Alice Springs working in this facility that, you know, that are pushing buttons in the Middle East that are killing insurgents. Like, I just find that fascinating. It's a really, really interesting place in which to set a drama. It is, and, and their decisions have consequences, not just for that facility, but for the world, because what they do, as you say, with a, with the press of a button, can affect international relations, it can affect foreign policy, it can affect all sorts of stuff, and yeah, they're just sitting in a room trying to make judgment calls with the, with a ticking yeah. clock. It's, it's a great And on a macro stakes. level, it's, it's affecting their own psychology, because imagine knowing that you're the one that literally pushed the button 
that sort of ended the lives of of countless people, many of whom are civilians and women and children. I mean, imagine having to live with that sort of knowledge. Yes, indeed. Well, Pine Gap starts with a double episode on Sunday, October 14, and it then airs weekly, or the whole series and the six episodes will be available to binge on iView all at once, which is how I'm going to try and watch it as soon as I get a moment. TV news. That's right, it's TV news time. Now, when we get together to plan this podcast, we all put our thoughts in about what shows we should cover, what what should you know, what everyone's talking about for TV news, what we should do is to binge or not to binge, and what the hidden gems are. This week for TV news, Claire insisted we talk about The Block um, because Claire is a huge The Block fan. I am not a huge The Block fan. I'm, I didn't even know it was still on. Is it still on? Seems to be going for about five months and like 20 million episodes of it. Um, so, yeah, so The Block is still on. Apparently it's a big week. I don't know. Claire, take it away. Oh, you're such a hater, Gavin. <laughs> anyway, yes, The Block's still on. And, yes, if you're a blockhead like me, of course you know that it's still on because this is the pointy end of the competition, people. And we're going to talk about it whether you like it or not, Gav, because there's been a huge development on this show. So we're right at the end. Obviously, uh, Sunday night's episode, they delivered their terraces. And so their apartments are complete. And now they've moved on to the challenge apartment, which they do most years. They didn't last year, where they have two weeks to completely redo an apartment. But here's the thing that's got me absolutely out of my mind with excitement is the fact that you can actually win this apartment and it's it's the richest prize in Australian game show history. This apartment's going to be worth something like two point six million dollars. And if you go out and buy um, the Monopoly board game, and you, and you get a golden ticket, and you enter the enter this specific number into the website, and you you have a chance to win this, which is so huge. I mean, could you imagine? It's like better than the boy. It's better than the Boys Town Lottery. Because you get to watch them doing it up. And you get to like, yeah. So in the back of my mind while I'm watching this, you're like, oh, my God, someone is going to win this apartment. But it's been a really good series. And uh, I know you hate it. Why do you hate it so much, Gab? Um, well, b- before I get into that, it sounds kind of like Willy Wonka. It sounds like... It is, totally. You even get a little golden ticket in your Monopoly set. And it's right. got a picture of... Um, Scotty Cam dressed up as the Monopoly man, which is quite funny. I did see that. I was quite. I actually want that Monopoly. I love Monopoly. We we recently got Junior Monopoly for. Um, this, I'm going on a complete tangent now. We recently got uh, Junior Monopoly for my daughter, <laughs> and I got bankrupted so quickly. And then I was trying to teach her how to bargain with, with your properties. <laughs> and anyway, so uh, that is so funny, Gavin, because you're literally one of the most competitive people I know. <laughs> so that makes me laugh that your five year olds managed bankrupt you. <laughs> and I was like, I'm not out yet. I'm not out yet. I've still got property and you're going to pay me $20 for this property because it's all in, you know, very low figures. But uh, yeah, I was trying to trying to teach her how to bargain your way in to stay into the game. So I do want the block monopoly. Um, why do it's I really hate... It's really good because it's all, all the properties are the properties for, that they've done up over the yes. years. So you can, you've got Dorcas Street and your Glass House. And yeah, it's really, really funny and it's really well done. It is like you're talking a foreign language when you throw names like that out at me. I'm like, yeah, I don't know what you're talking about. But um, why do I hate the block? I just I, I think the main thing is it's such a big time commitment. I know we've talked about this in the past. I don't have time for 20 episodes of a show a week, especially when they go for two hours or however long it is and all those ad breaks and all that product placement. Also, the other thing is I actually really don't care about home renovation that much. I, I'm, yeah, right. I'm not the type of person who... I would hate to go through a renovation at home. I would rather move and just buy a new house where someone's already done it than have to live through a renovation. So watching other people live through a renovation and, you know, in these 
confected scenarios that cause conflict and they don't give them any food or sleep or whatever to cause No, drama. that's not true. There's no <laughs> confected scenarios. There's no it, like this is the thing that all the contestants say every year when they start the show. They they always um say, oh, I can't believe it's actually as bad as this because we all thought that it was all just it's not. Like it, it, the producers do not manufacture a single second of this show. Well, well, no, I, I guess I guess they're, they're placed into an artificial environment. That is not how anyone yes. does, does reno. I guess that's what I mean by conflict. No, you don't reno a lab, living room in a week. Yeah. No. So so that kind of thing is like, you know, you're not going to do this in real life. I wouldn't want to do it in real life. Why would I want to watch people on a show doing it in this artificial situation that's just designed to make them break down in tears? That's why. But I do understand why people love it. And I know when we talked about the block back when Hamish and Andy came on and we talked about all things reality and I did endure an episode just so I had an opinion about it, I um, I can see why it's popular. Obviously, they, they do what they do very well. It's been going for many, many, many years um, and people love it and maybe I'm just wrong. You're wrong. Yeah, I was. Well, that was your cue. There we go. <laughs> um, yeah, can I just cue a Matt Demby and go, well, Gavin, you're wrong, wrong, wrong. Yes, oh, Matt does love a home reno show we know that that's for sure um but actually i don't know i think he's more house rules than the block but anyway claire when does it end when will it put me out of my misery Um, well the block is ending in two weeks time so they're doing the challenge department i'm not entirely sure when the um when the auction happens but yeah so two weeks from this week (laughs) two weeks and when is it on all the time to binge or not to binge? That is the question, and this week we're asking the question about Manifest, which has been fast-tracked from the US and is going to be on Channel 9 uh, tonight, in fact, when this podcast comes out, Wednesday night, October the 10th. Now, Manifest deals with what happens when a plane that went missing five and a half years ago turns up in 2018 with all of its passengers still on board, having not aged a day. Yep, it's kind of like Lost and the Returned rolled into one. And there are types of things you'd expect. There were a pair of twins, one who was on the flight, one who wasn't, and so now they're not the same age at all, which is kind of weird because they're still twins. Um, And the passengers have some weird stuff going on after they land back from wherever they've been. They've got voices in their head. They've got seeming psychic abilities. So it's pretty standard kind of sci-fi weird occurrence fare. And, you know, I love shows like this in theory. You know, it's got a great premise. There are so many questions. What happened? Where has the plane been all this time? What about the people who have moved on in the absence of their loved ones? Will there be answers? Um, And that was always the criticism of Lost, that it asked so many questions and it didn't always answer them. And... I'm I'm going to wait and see what happens with Manifest because it is asking a lot of questions and I don't know if it is going to answer them. And in, in the wake of Lost, we had all those imitators. There was The Event, there was Alcatraz, there was Flash Forward, and they all tried to do what Lost do, which was ask a lot of questions and keep people interested for, you know, Lost went for six seasons just asking questions and answering a few of them along the way. But those other ones, they all fizzled really quickly. And I'm hoping that doesn't happen for Manifest because I am really interested intrigued by it um but you know i also am realistic and these things are really hard to sustain because once you answer some questions do you care about the characters did you care about the characters or did you care about the mystery uh so yes i would say on this one binge but binge with caution because you know who knows if it's going to be satisfying at the end of the day 
Claire, do you and like... And also it might, get, it might get canned before it gives you any... You know, sometimes with these network shows from the States, they don't, they don't end up answering any questions because they get given the arse after one season. No, that's right. Or, or like five episodes in and, and they, you know, they ask all these questions and you're like, oh my gosh, I really want to know. I remember there was, there was a show from the mid-noughties called Reunion, which had this massively complicated premise. It started off with uh, six kids graduating high school and then it flashed forward to their 20-year high school reunion and then each episode skipped forward one year. So episode two was going to be one year after graduation. Episode three was going to be two years after graduation and so on and so on. And each episode was going to take a step-by-step up until that 20th anniversary. And something happened at the 20th anniversary. I think one of them killed the other one or something. And um, (laughs) it was like a great premise. And I was like, oh, this is going to be fantastic. There's going to be all sorts of ageing. You know, they'll, they'll put them in wigs to make them look older. And it got axed after about five or six episodes. And so not only did we not get to see this premise play out, but we never found out who did the murder. So oh, I th- how annoying. It, it was very annoying. And, and that is the danger with these types of shows where you have this you know, massive high concept or really complicated mythology is that, yeah, unless you've got the commitment to run the entire season, fans may be left at the end with, you know, with lots of questions, more questions than they had uh, than at the start. So I would say with Manifest, binge, but binge with caution in case, yeah, it's not here in five episodes' time. It's time for this week's Hidden Gem. And this week's Hidden Gem is Michael Portillo's latest show on SBS. He always seems to have new shows starting on SBS. He just make, he just cranks them out, doesn't he? Anyway, this one is called Abandoned Britain. And Claire, you've been watching it, haven't you? I have. Look, you can't underestimate just how much SBS viewers love themselves a bit of Michael Portillo. You also can't underestimate just how much Claire Rigdon loves herself a bit of Michael Portillo. Actually, his great railway journeys uh, shows consistently outrate anything else on the channel, which is really interesting. But I personally love just to tune in, just to see what coloured pastel slacks and shirt combination he'll be wearing each week. And also for him to talk about his broad shores which is his guidebook that he always talks about on the show, which uh, has now become a bit of a running gag in our family. But anyway, this is quite different, this one. It deviates from his railway travelogue shtick and instead he journeys to some old abandoned buildings and places. It's actually a really interesting premise for a show and I'm quite interested as to why no one's done it before now. So, for example, I mean, who doesn't love having a good nosy around an old building? In one episode, he goes to this really eerie ghost town on the Salisbury Plains in the UK called Imba. Now, Imba is over a 1,000 years old. It was mentioned in the Doomsday Book, no less. But in 1943, it completely disappeared. Its inhabitants were ordered off the land by the army who wanted to expand their training grounds. And most of them thought it was all temporary, but nope, 50 years later, it's still totally deserted and it's like a little... It's like a little time, you know, a little time capsule. So it's got one really, really interesting story to tell, and that's what Michael's looking at in this episode. So this this is for people that find this kind of thing really interesting. I follow a lot of these um, Instagram pages where they where photographers go and have a look around old abandoned factories and fun fairs and all this. It's, I just find it endlessly fascinating. So if this sounds up your alley, take a look. It can be a little bit contrived at times. But it's still really interesting, and I actually really loved that episode. So get amongst it, Portillo fans. And Michael Portillo's Abandoned Britain starts October 16 on SBS. So that's it for this week. And guess what? Matthew Demby is back with us next week. Yo, Matt, last seen tweeting from Los Angeles. 
longest holiday oh, ever. Anyway, he is back, and next week we are talking about The Bachelorette. That's right. The Bachelor is over, and The Bachelorette has just begun. So, yeah, I'm sure Matt, FML. Matt will love talking about that. Um, and we're also going to ha- have a look at The Romanoffs, which is uh, Matthew Weiner. Weiner? I don't know how you say his name. but oh, Matt, Mad Men creator. Um, his new show, The Romanoffs, which... Uh, we haven't been able to preview ahead of it going to air because he's notoriously secretive. But yes, we're going to watch it and talk about it next week. So catch us then. Until then, listen, subscribe, tweet us. Uh, Mr. Matt Demby, I am Claire and Gavin Scott 99. Bye. Bye-bye. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.